That's a great message in that song, I tell you. Ransom was found. Turn him loose. That's what mercy says to justice. A ransom's been found. Let's turn to Romans 9. Still in Romans 9, verse 23. Romans 9, 23. start reading with verse 18 therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth thou wilt say then unto me why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will nay but O man who art thou that repliest against God shall a thing form say to him that formed it why hast thou made me thus Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? And what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. Let's bow our heads. Father, we've been in this portion before, but we ask you to bless it again to our hearts. Teach us, teach us thy sovereignty. Teach us thy great mercy. Teach us thy justice. Teach us man's place at thy feet and thy sovereign will over all of thy creation. We need to learn. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. If you were here last week, you know, we talked at length about the vessels of wrath. Not a very popular subject, especially when the scripture says they were fitted to destruction. You read it there in verse 22. How are they fitted to destruction? By their sins. And then it got a little sticky when we read in 1 Peter 2.8 that they were appointed to stumble over our rock Christ. Now look at 1 Peter 2.8 and I want to show that to you. These vessels of wrath are appointed. 1 Peter 2.8 says, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now that's an amazing ending to that sentence. You could understand them being offensive and stumbling at the work, being disobedient. And that possibly you would think, well, God is disappointed because they didn't come to him. No, it's not that at all. Whereunto also they were appointed. Explain that, Peter. No, he don't explain it. He just tells it to you. That's all it's there. That's it. You see, this stumbling or rejection of Christ is natural. It's inclusive of every person born on the face of the earth. But to save some, another side of God is shown besides justice, and that is mercy. Our God delights in mercy and has so much that it fills all space from earth to heaven. That's how much mercy he has. 
I want you to look at Psalm 103, 12. That's what it says. Psalm 103, 12. That's 11. I got 12 down and we read both of them. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Now that's, you're talking about a big distance. You can't figure it out. Well, you're not going to figure out 12 either. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Why? Because his mercy is great toward them that fear him. Yet, because our God has a free will, just like people say they have, he has mercy on some and on the rest, he just leaves alone. Same chapter we're in, Romans 9, 18. Look at, 9, look at 18, verse 18. We read it to start with today. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. No ifs, ands, buts, or questions about that. It's a statement. Now here's how God differs from our mode of operation. We would have mercy on someone because something in them merited our compassion. That's why you like people. That's why you even give things to people because there's something in them that moves you to do it. Before the world was created, our God intended mercy to the elect by giving them to Christ, who in time would pay their sin debt and earn eternal life for them by keeping God's laws perfectly. That's God's way of doing it. The scriptures even say that their names are written in a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. That's Revelation 13.8. Take a look over at that one more time. You get familiar with it, you'll never forget it. The names of all of the people that the Lord God gave to Christ to die for were written in that Lamb's Book of Life. Let's read it, the second part. Whose names are not written in the Book of Life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. In God's eyes, the Lord Jesus Christ was already sacrificed for these people. That's how sure the salvation of everyone is whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Boy, it's a great salvation. And it's the Father's will that not a one of them is to be overlooked. How do you know that? We'll turn to John 6.39. It'll tell you that. John 6.39. Not a single one is going to be lost, overlooked, And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. And then in John, two verses up above that, in John 6, 37, our Lord himself says that they shall come. And if he says they shall come, let me tell you, there's nothing going to stop them. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. See verse 37? And him that cometh to me I'll in no wise cast out. It's a sure thing. When God decrees something, it's going to be. His decree is before all things. There's a lot of religious people, 
biggies too that say it's God's foreknowledge now. He decrees things. He decrees things and they stand pat forever. Now all of that is mercy. I mean God selecting and giving us to Christ who had our names written in his book of life. That's all mercy. God's will that not a one be lost and Christ saying they shall come. That's all mercy. But our verse today, let me get it back here in Romans 9, 23. Our verse today says more, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Now, in men's rejection of the salvation of Christ, the exceeding sinfulness of sin is manifested and we learn that no external means, I mean even very righteous means or works, there, that none of that does any good. It's, it has to be almighty power to save a guilty lost creature. Those, therefore, who are called and saved are saved by a new creation, by the power and calling of the Holy Spirit through the incarnation and death of the Son of God. And why is that? Well, it's for the sins of his people and his resurrection for their justification. And all of that is made known in the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. show you how when you speak, speak about the gospel, those are the things you mention. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul's going to talk about the gospel here. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. So you see, people get saved by the preaching of the gospel. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the basis of the gospel. Now, with this verse following, we're back in Romans now, Romans 9.23, with this verse following that about the vessels of wrath, it is implied that the awful ruin of the wicked is necessary for the full display of the riches of divine mercy in saving the elect. Both the righteous and the wicked are by nature equally exposed to wrath. And the deliverance of the elect from that situation to be made heirs of glory wonderfully illustrates the boundlessness of mercy. The salvation of the elect is mercy, pure mercy, and it is wonderful mercy when we consider what was the doom that they deserved and would have experienced had they not been delivered by God through Jesus Christ. Had there been no Jesus Christ, no Savior ever to come, every single individual 
Not like animals that live and die and are extinct. Every individual on the face of the earth, because of their sins, would go to hell and suffer forever. That's why it's mercy that God saves some. Everybody deserves to go to hell. Now it says, which he had afore prepared unto glory. These vessels of mercy were previously prepared for their happy lot by God himself. The wicked are fitted for destruction by their sins. They take care of themselves. And the elect prepared before by God unto glory. For the wicked, their sins fit them for destruction. And on the other hand, the elect are afore prepared unto glory. This cannot be by themselves, but must be by God as the agent. The elect are not only afore prepared unto glory, but it is God who prepares them. This preparing is called predestination. Now, most folks don't like this. But there are some who can understand it, but then they object to the term reprobation, so often used by the old Christian writers. All of our Puritan writers talk about reprobation. Now, reprobation includes two acts. The one is negative, which is the passing by of those who are not elected. It's just leave them alone. That is, leaving them in their natural state of alienation or enmity against God. Now, you've got to understand that everybody is in that condition to start with. Uh, look at Ephesians 2.12. Ephesians 2.12. That at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel... See, aliens? <laughs> Not the kind you see on TV either. And strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. You see, your, your, your world system would like you to think that all aliens look like E.T. No. Aliens look like the people that you go shopping with, that you live with, you see in the mall... You see it football games, basketball games, baseball games. They're all aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Yeah, not ETs. Now one other scripture to show you, and that's Romans 8, 7. Right back to where we are, but one page back further. And we're talking about the alienation of man and his enmity toward God. And Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, and neither indeed can be. Now, the other act of reprobation is positive, and it is called condemnation. The act of condemning on account of sin those who have been passed by. The first act consists in God simply withholding his grace to which no man can have any claim. And the only reason the scriptures give for this is the sovereign pleasure of God who has mercy on whom he'll have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. 
consider he may have justly left all men to perish in their sins. Now in the second act, God considers man as guilty and as a child of wrath. Look at Romans 3.19. Romans 3.19 and tells you why the gospel, it has a purpose. The gospel and the law both. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Now that is a necessity to anybody who gets saved. They've got to see themselves as guilty. And then Ephesians 2, 3, and I know you know that one without having to turn there, but I'm going to read it to you. talking about people before they're saved, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. You see people that live for themselves, live for their body, live for their, uh, their family, are called by nature the children of wrath. That's not what we're here for. We're here to live to the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ until you find that out. You're in trouble. You're a child of wrath. See, people like Big Me, oh, I got plans for me. Uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm fit for that. Uh-uh. The Lord's going to teach you a little bit different before it's all over. Or if he lets you alone, you'll gain all those things you planned and you'll split hell wide open when you quit breathing. Okay, now it's on this account that he punishes these folks in time. So from all eternity he has ordained to punish them. Look at Jude 4. Jude is a book just before Revelation. Just before Revelation. It's one chapter, so you can't say Jude such and such a chapter. You just say Jude and you call out the verse. Jude 4. Now, It says, For there were certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. You see, the wicked are still ordained to what they're going to do. Whether it's belief or unbelief, they're still well known to God. And whatever they think they're pulling off, they're not. They're not fooling God one bit. In fact, they've been ordained to that long ago. Isn't that interesting? You don't get away with anything with God. Nothing. Some of the greatest people can be the biggest uh, hypocrites. We've got them on TV, you know, the Schwaggerts and the Jimmy and Tammy and the Baker and that whole bunch pulling religion on people, drawing in their money from old ladies and pension funds. God fooled by it? <laughs> Not a bit. No, they're, they're going to be ordained to their condemnation. Now, in electing sinners or in passing them by, God acts as a sovereign, dispensing or withholding his favors which are his own. God dispenses favors. In condemning, he exercises his justice in the punishment of the guilty. Now, who are the folks that don't like that? Well, those who made a decision... And made salvation a work of their own don't like it and don't understand it. What favors have they received? 
I mean from God, not from the church or the community. Oh, yeah, you get a lot of praise from people. The first favor that God grants to every child of his is to quicken them and to show them that they are a lost sinner. That's favor number one. Okay, so far the average church member has been convinced that they need a savior. And they said they were lost and so immediately accepted Christ as savior and were told that they were saved. That's the average church member today. Somebody witnessed to them. They sure did. Told them that Christ is a Savior and they're a sinner and they accepted the fact that they were a sinner because the Bible said so. And they accepted Jesus and were told that they're saved. That's the average church member. That's the average preacher. You see, they miss favor number two which is God the Holy Spirit reproving them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's John 16, 8. He'll reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit. The Lord called him the Comforter. The Comforter does a reproving work, just totally contrary to the way a human being would do it. If you go to comfort somebody, you butter them up, you pet them, you pat them, you give them things, you make them happy, you bend over backwards and make them feel good, that's being a comforter in a human life. God the Holy Spirit, as the Comforter, reproves of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Isn't that interesting? Now, it's here that you experience the meaning of the word lost. No hope, no strength, no faith, no control of a lustful heart. Your ambitions and aims in life are child's play compared to the salvation of your soul. Now, you're getting serious. If Christ didn't die for you, then hell is your just deserts for your life of sin. It is a matter of, is it a matter of you accepting him or of Christ accepting you? And what does every awakened sinner know? Hey, the Lord has got to accept him or he's done. Well, here's where favor number three comes in. You seek and wait and cry and God will save you. His word says so and his spirit speaks to our heart that we are the sons of God. It's God's work. Look at Romans 8.16. Just back up a page. Romans 8.16 where the spirit speaks to your heart. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's a revelation to your heart. That's God the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You tell somebody that and say, what kind of voice did you hear? Well, I said, well, it was a voice that spoke to my heart and words very clear, but it wasn't audible. Oh, come on, that's a lot of bunk. No, it isn't. God, the Holy Spirit, speaks to the human heart that they saves. All right, now I said that you're going to wait and seek. Turn to Lamentations 3, look at verse 24. Lamentations. Do you have any idea where it is? Well, it's right after Jeremiah and just before Ezekiel. Jeremiah wrote these lamentations. It's Lamentations 3, 24 through 26. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, and therefore will I hope in him. And you know, nobody can change that in you. When you are determined that God is your hope, you go out after him. 
The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. Seeking and waiting. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. All right, that's part of favor number three. People accept Christ because they do not believe that God really is. And they go through their make-believe part of being saved when they have never got to know Christ as a lost sinner. They've missed all the steps in between. You've got to come to Christ believing. Now look at Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you are or did diligently seek him, did it all happen in one day? Did you just find out that you were a lost sinner and then accepted Christ? That's not seeking God. You seek him so that he can reveal this to your heart. He will take care of letting you know if he saved you. The religious world has lost all track of that because the religious leaders have made a decision too. So that's the best they can teach their people. No matter how big or how famous they are, they all teach the same thing. You make a decision. You decide for Jesus right now and you'll be saved right where you are. Are you kidding? For those that diligently seek him and wait and cry, okay? You must seek him. Now, some of you folks are so afraid that someone might find out that you are lost. Do you realize that that's the second greatest thing to ever happen to you? That Christ saves only lost sinners. How's anybody going to know that you are saved unless they know you are lost? If you are ashamed of being lost, then you are ashamed of Christ who saves lost sinners. And I'll tell you what, you'll never be saved as long as you're ashamed of being a candidate for salvation. I used to tell folks, keep it to yourself, but I can see that that is wrong. You'd better tell everybody, especially those close to you and those that see you every day, I'm a lost sinner, I need desperately for the Lord Jesus Christ to save my soul. That's what you can tell them. You can tell you you're going to lose a bunch of friends. Just if you're serious. Well, here's favor number four. God makes you a new creature. Turn to Second, Second Corinthians 5.17. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. <laughs> Old things pass away, you better believe they do. Behold, all things shall become new. What's all things? Well, all the new things that are new to you. There's things that you never did have a real interest in. They're they're new to you. Oh, you might have heard about them in preaching before, but now they're new to you. 
old things are passed away. Like what? Like the way you lived? Like the way you thought? Like the way you desired life to be? Happy, good times, playtime, party time? Forget the gospel time? All things become new. You're a new creature. Is it worth it? Are you kidding? Eternal life? Adopted into God's family? What do you mean by that? Well, turn back to Romans, where we are. Romans 8, 15. This Romans 8 and Romans 9 are so great. Romans 8, 15. You're adopted into God's family, for you have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Adopted. Why? Because nobody else will have you, that's why. You're on, you're on an open market now. Unwanted totally by the world, usually by your friends, a lot of times by your family. You can't talk to your family about the personal things of Christ in your heart. They don't care to hear it. Think you're weird. Think you're going to be a self-righteous hypocrite or something now. And that's the way it goes. Adopts you into his family. Now look at the next verse there, though. This is what's what's really interesting. Uh, uh, verse 16, 17, and then when we get to 18, let me read 16 to you, too. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we're the children of God, and if children, then heirs. Here's all the, uh, the lanyap that goes with it. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Things that it's going to take an eternity to even figure out and to claim. It's, it's marvelous. Joint heirs with Christ, who is the Creator. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What's he mean by the sufferings of this present time? All the while you were seeking and waiting, people thought you were crazy. And when God reveals himself to your heart, they still think you're crazy. And besides that, the world hates you. Just talk about Christ and what he has done, and they will hate you. Turn to John 15. Look at verse 18 and 19. John 15, 18 and 19. What could our Lord Jesus Christ have done who never did a sin, never thought an evil thing, always did good to people? Why would they hate him? John 15, 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He made the world too. He made it. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Turn one page to the right. John 17, <coughs> verse 14. I've given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. You see how closely the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and his people are all tied together. If you read God's word and follow it and ask him to explain it to you, let him be the interpreter. You read world's going to hate you because you're going to want to do what God tells you to do. His commandments are in here. He tells you how to live, how to be clean, 
how to be healthy and how to be happy. And people don't like that. They would rather be unhealthy, do all unhealthy things, ruin their body, think they're having fun and they're sad most of the time. They're always climbing in their minds for something better. And God has it, going to give it to you. You don't want it. That's exactly what this is about. The world hates you because you want to go by God's word. And they don't want to have anything to do with it. The fashion of the world and the tradition of the world is good enough for them. And you get out of here with God's word. That's the idea and the attitude of most people in the world. Is it any wonder that so few even know what the Bible is all about? They don't read it. And they'll believe a false teacher's lie. Are we surprised at this? No, not quite. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Latter times, well, I think we're just about there. Can't be any latter than it is today, can it? Nobody's ever progressed any further than we are today, so we're on the latter, latter end of it. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now we can include the Catholics here. Here they come. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. While you're back in Timothy, turn to 2 Timothy 3, and he gives us a few more about the last times where we live. 2 Timothy 3.1 This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. That's interesting, huh? Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures. Oh, yeah, we see that. More than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. You know what that last verse means? That all these people were religious. False accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are having a form of godliness. Yeah, we go to church. We belong to the big one. We go once a week, huh? Okay. That's a pretty good warning, you know. Now, you say, well, that's just Paul. Anybody else say anything about it? Well, how about Peter? Turn to Second Peter 2. Look at verse 1. Second Peter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. What's the way of truth? Well, it's how God saves a sinner. The sinner falling at the feet of Christ, begging for mercy, becoming a beggar, and Christ answering that sinner and saving their soul. That's the way of truth. They don't like it. 
No, I'm going to speak evil of that. Oh, that's so foolish. That's works, they say. Is it works? Lord did say, Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. What's repentance? It's falling down at the feet of Christ and asking for mercy. That's what it is. Saying, Lord, I've been a sinner. That's all I can do is sin. I'm not going to get any better. I need to be saved. And you cry all types of sentences like that until one day when you're really honest, one time when you're really sincere and you never know that, the Lord speaks to your heart, I, I saved you, I delivered you, I died for you. Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. Now, do you know what's ahead for God's people? He's going to make known to us the riches of his glory. That's what our verse said. Romans 9, 23. He wants to make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Now, to me, that is seeing Christ. That's the max that Christ asks for in his prayer in John 17, 24, that we may behold his glory. That's why we need our new bodies, new eyes, not these recipients of filth that we have now. They're so polluted, they couldn't behold the Lord Jesus Christ. But we need new eyes to behold our glorious Lord. I want to read you, in closing, a Gatsby, number 1100. If you have one you want to turn with me, fine. If not, I'm just going to read it. Number 1100 by John Newton. There'll be more preaching in this one little Gatsby than I did all morning. Now listen to this. Let worldly minds the world pursue. It has no charms for me. Once I admired its trifles too, but grace has set me free. Its pleasures now no longer please, no more content afford. Far from my heart be joys like these, now I have seen the Lord. As by the light of opening day the stars are all concealed, so earthly pleasures fade away when Jesus is revealed. Creatures no more divide my choice. I bid them all depart. His name and love and gracious voice have fixed my roving heart. Now, Lord, I would be thine alone and wholly live to thee. But may I hope that thou wilt own a worthless worm like me. Yes, though of sinners I'm the worst, I cannot doubt thy will. For if thou hadst not loved me first, I thee had hated still. That great John Newton, the one that wrote Amazing Grace. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee for this morning hour. Thank you for thy many blessings this past week, but especially thy written word, all about our Lord Jesus Christ and how thou dost love sinners. Invite sinners to come. Anybody that hears the gospel can come. And Lord, we pray that hearts will be moved and stirred to do exactly like our poem just said, Ah, the world's trifles. Oh, they used to be so much to me. But now the Lord Jesus is my all in all. May that be the portion for each heart here and each family represented. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, you're all dismissed. You've got 15 minutes. There's some coffee in the back.
water in the back, and a lot of little kitties in the back. 